Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm an unschooling parent to two kids. And we, my family, has been on this unique learning journey for over nine years now. This is the summer of 2022 that I'm recording this intro. And it's been a learning journey in many forms. We started out as world schoolers and have really found our way as self-directed learners. And we continue to learn on this journey every day. If you've come to this podcast, I'm guessing that you want to learn more about homeschooling, unschooling, or whatever kind of unique learning journey your family is creating. Maybe you're already on the path and you just want to continue to be inspired. You are welcome and thank you for being here. And I really appreciate it when you leave a review or any stars. It helps the podcast to be noticed. So if you get a chance, go to iTunes, leave a review, let us know what you think or even what you didn't like about the show. I truly appreciate it. And I also want to remind you that my Patreon community is a fantastic place to receive support and inspiration directly from me. This summer of 2022, I've opened up my Patreon levels for all to be included in my monthly coaching sessions, our group discussions, which are held at the end of every month, where you can bring your questions, concerns, doubts, and fears, and we gather through Zoom live to discuss, to share, to answer, to be curious, really engage and connect with each other. So if you go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids, you'll see where you can join. And also it helps to support this show so that I can continue making episodes for you. All right. So this episode, my wonderful guest is Iris Chen. You may know her as the untigering parent. Iris is an unschooling parent herself and her book, Untigering, Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent is worth the read. In this episode, I know you'll enjoy this conversation. We talk about unschooling, the obstacles, success, untigering, what it really is and what it looks like for Iris, and academic achievement. So tune in, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback and all the links to connect with Iris and her community I've put in the show notes. So go there to connect directly with Iris as well. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so I will just like welcome you to the show and then we can get started. We'll go with that. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Okay. Um, And this will be a little bit about me getting to know you as well, because this is the first time that you and I've really got to talk at all. So especially a fellow Alberta girl who knew, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So today I have Iris Chen on the podcast. Iris, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Thank you for having me, Robin. 
So if you, I know you as an unschooling parent, I know you from your book, Untigering, you're an author, a community leader. How would you, if someone said, who is Irish Chen? How would you describe Irish Chen? Oh, wow. It's <laughs> a very complex question. It is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can take it as simple as you like or specific as you like. It's really up to you. Yeah. Um, I would say I am an Asian American unschooling parent who is just trying to figure things out as she goes. <laughs> so definitely somebody who doesn't have all the answers and is always learning along with my children and learning from the community. So, yeah. And, and I think it's like just showing up to each space as fully myself, whatever that means in the moment. Mm. That's what I try to do. I was going to ask you, what does that mean to show up in the space fully yourself? But I get that, whatever it is in the moment, because I think we always change and adapt and evolve as well. Yeah. So how many kids do you have? I have two, Noah and Caleb, and my oldest is 14. My younger one is 12. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so you unschool. Why, Why choose unschooling? Have you always unschooled since your kids were, since you knew that, since you heard of it, since they were school age, how did that all unfold and come about? Yeah, no, I was definitely not an unschooling parent for right from the beginning. Um, <laughs> if for those of you who've read my book, I, I consider myself like a deconstructing a recovering tiger parent. Mm-hmm. So someone whose education um, or who saw who really valued education, who grew up valuing education and academic achievement, and also expected my children to do well. Um, We were living in China at the time. And so as foreigners living in China, we actually had limited options. You know, we were unable to send our children to the local school because they needed to give first priority to the local people, you know, which totally makes sense. So... I actually sort of fell into unschooling out of an act of desperation because um, my other options were quickly disappearing. I knew that I probably needed to homeschool, but I was really afraid to homeschool. Just knowing my personality, somebody who wants to check off all the boxes to follow the curriculum to the T, (laughs) like, you know, perfectionistic, overachieving um, personality in some ways. I knew that that would just create so much tension in my home if I were to be responsible for for homeschooling my children, you know? Um, So when I realized, okay, homeschooling is probably the option for us, they were probably in um, going into like fourth and second grade at that time. Um, And we had sort of like part-time homeschool because they were going to part-time local kindergarten and different like Chinese options and then doing part-time homeschooling. But when I knew that, okay, this is going to be full-time homeschooling, how can I do this in a way that we can all survive and that our family relationships can survive? And I um, discovered unschooling. I was online, went to some parenting conferences, and um, some people mentioned it. And I quickly like 
went on Google and did all the research and was trying to understand more about this, this idea. And it was really mind blowing, but at the same time, so resonant with what I believed and felt and realized like, oh, I'm going through the motions of trying to school them in a certain way, even though I don't really believe in that. It's just the way that it's always been done is the way that, that I've seen it done. So I think that that's the only option. But when I learned about unschooling, learned about really following a child's passions, supporting them, not coming in with my own agenda, all of those things really resonated with me. And so I talked with my partner about it and he was surprisingly on board with it as well. And so we just jumped into it sort of like an experiment, you know, like, okay, we'll give it a try. We'll feel it out. Um, because what did we have to lose? We didn't have any other options anyway. And then we could always pull back and like introduce curriculum or, or, you know, find other options if this isn't working out for us. So yeah, that's sort of how we got into it. And it's definitely um, evolved since mm-hmm. then. But I think a lot of us find it like not necessarily because we understand or are fully on board with the whole idea of it, but because we're, you know, maybe first trying homeschooling and discovering, okay, maybe that doesn't quite work the way I imagined it would. And so, yeah, it was a process for me as well. Okay. Okay. I, so, I mean, it's, I think when you're, so where, where in China were you living? We were in Tianjin, which is a, a city near Beijing. Right. Okay. So you're in China. I used to live, I lived in Shanghai for a little oh. while. And so I, I understand like it, the idea of, and I, you know, we were going to talk a little bit about success today and school and academics is very different from North America in many ways, right? Um, so when you're talking about yourself as well, you're like high achiever, you know, perfectionist and what you can be a perfectionist in, academics are really important. Uh, and going from, and your kids were going to a kindergarten there. And, you know, in my idea in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, it's over here. And then unschooling is like way the hell over here. And for you to go, well, you know what, we're probably gonna have to homeschool anyways. And here's unschooling. It sounds wonderful. Let's try that. It seems like a huge jump. It really does. Was it you're like, this is different. And I'm just going to go full in no problem. And I'm thinking there weren't a lot of unschoolers where you were, were there any other unschoolers? Like it seems, it do you know what I mean? It seems like you're not just jumping across the stream; you're jumping across the Nile. Almost. <laughs> yeah, and and I wouldn't say that I made that jump in like one fell swoop or in one leap. You know, because I think we were living in um, China as foreigners. We also, in some ways, brought our Western perspective to. Mm-hmm you know, our lives there. So we were picking and choosing how we wanted to live and what values we had. And as foreigners, we could also um, sort of take a step back and view what was going on around us a little bit more, you know, from an outsider's perspective where we noticed certain things. And so we knew the intensity 
to which parents were like sending their kids to all these extracurriculars and always like in school all the time, going to tutors and all these things. We knew that we didn't want to do that um, because we saw the intensity of it and how stressful that made everybody's lives. Um, So in some ways we had peeled back a little and were much more low key when they were young, wanting to give my children a lot of downtime to play and things like that. Um, So it was helpful to be a foreigner in some ways because we could, you know, curate and pick and choose what are things that are valuable for us. We didn't just swallow it whole. We didn't, we, it, it wasn't unconscious and unquestioned because we were in a foreign environment. We had to figure out like what works for us. I sort of feel like if I was here in the States, it might've been a harder choice for me to unschool because there were like, I'm sort of like swimming in the water. I don't question a lot of what I'm surrounded with. Right. And there's so many more options here that feel less schoolish that might've felt like it would work better. And yeah, so I'm, I'm actually really grateful that I had sort of that experience as a, as a foil to maybe what, I didn't want for my children. Mm. So it it was easier. But I do also want to say that I living there as a foreigner gave me the privilege to make that decision, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because homeschooling is technically not legal in that country. And so um, the options that I had to pull my children out of school into homeschool was definitely a privilege that I had as a foreigner. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that as well. and how many years did you stay in China for, especially unschooling? Yeah, so we, like my husband and I lived in China for um, 16 years and my oh, children wow. were born and raised there. Um, but in terms of unschooling, we probably did it for two years um, before we moved back to the States. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So near the end of that. Okay, so quite a while. Um mm-hmm. So that also brings another interesting dynamic as well. And I understand what you say, you know, you're, you're foreigners there. And so you brought a lot of your own foreign beliefs and values and expectations in so many ways there. And even though you were there for 16 years, we never really fully erase those parts of us, right? Even if we are living in another place for a very long time. Um, And then when you left, so after 16 years, you're unschooling in China for two years in Tianjin, and then you go back to the U.S. How was that? Did that shift your unschooling at all? Do you find being back in the U.S.? Did it make it easier? Were there new obstacles and differences? How did that change for you or did it not change at all? Um, It did change a little bit because when we were in China as foreigners, we could pretty much do whatever we want without any government oversight. Right? Right. Like, yeah. You know, they were, the government didn't feel like they needed to be responsible or, you know, so I didn't have to report to anybody. I didn't have to like, you know, coming back, I realized, oh, you know, that there, there is more government oversight. There is more needing to check in. So what we did, like when we were in China, we knew other unschooling families online and they recommended that we join 
like a charter that was unschooling friendly. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we have done because we didn't want to like jump right back in and like need to do all the paperwork because my children were born and raised in China. I have no idea the systems, like the school system or the homeschooling system, all the paperwork. And I knew that that would be really stressful if I like landed and needed to figure all that out. So it was easier for us to join a charter. Um, but it's a very um, unschooling friendly charter and we've made it work for us. And it's like, there are certain expectations that they have, but the way I approach it as an unschooling family is um, the hoops that we have to jump through in order to gain access to these resources or to have this umbrella of protection over us. And even though I, like, we don't, need to find value in those things, like in the work samples that we send in or the grades or the standardized tests that we might need to do. But those are just some hoops that we have to jump through. Um, But, you know, my oldest is getting to a high school age where the standards are more strict. Um, And so this following year, we pulled him out of the charter and will um, just be home educating on um, on our own. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. So, you know, when it comes to home education, home learning, unschooling, what, what still appeals to you? What values and beliefs do you, your family, you yourself, your kids have that works when it comes yeah. to Yeah. I feel like unschooling has really just transformed my life and my my family dynamics in a way that I never expected. Like I thought like, okay, it's just about education and it's just about, um, you know, how we want to educate our children. But I really feel like it has challenged me in so many different areas in like my own personal healing as well as my relationships with my children. But just the idea of... Um, freedom and autonomy and that all of us, you know, have the right to live in ways that feel authentic and true and aligned to who we are. So many systems in our society that really rob us of that, where we like unconsciously submit to those systems, thinking that that's just the way that we have to live. And I feel like unschooling really gives us the imagination to to know like, no, we don't have to necessarily have a nine to five job. We don't have to like have a, you know, work corporate. We don't have to go to that um, expensive Ivy League school. You know, all those expectations where we're told this is the path to success. This is what the good life looks like. We can really just peel all that, filter it through who we are and our own values and live a life that is true to who we are. And so um, I found it so empowering and and radical in some ways, you know, choosing to live um, in ways that are are really called countercultural. Mm-hmm. So it is yeah. radical. Yeah. Radical yeah. in a lot of ways, because it I think it it is those, you know, either we don't question it or we've taken it for granted. Or, um, you know, it's just really scary to step out of that path because really it is, it's very easily set up that 
you know, you go to school at this time, you go for this amount of years, all of those things within those years is celebrated or punished, or, you know, there's all the, you know, the checks and balances and the rewards and the opposite of that to really keep this path as clean as possible and as easy as possible for as many people to be on. And then go to post-secondary, you know, the better, whatever name, the better, and then have a job that looks a certain way as well, that you continue essentially going to school at this or going to work at the same time and everything around you, you know, there are expectations, aesthetic expectations, external expectations. And then when you're behind closed doors, other things that you didn't then pass down to your kids and family, those other expectations. So, Uh, you know, and schooling definitely is radical because almost all of those things, and maybe I think we probably for our own pick and choose certain things that still work or don't, you know, whatever, it might look a bit different, but it's not within that path at all. Yeah. It's always like going up against, you know, there's always something that it's like, oh, well, that means if we choose this, then that's not going to happen, or it might look very different. And then that takes you again down another road. Then again, you're kind of like, okay, so now what? This is not what it looked like, or this is not what we expected, or this is not what our neighbors do whatsoever. So, it, you know, it's very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. And it really affects everything in our lives where, again, it's not just about education is not just about schooling or or whatever. It's really about how do we want to live our lives? Mm -hmm. And the thing about school is that it often takes over our lives Mm -hmm. and takes over our children's lives so that we have to morph our rhythms and our values around that system. But when you don't have that system, like wow, you can actually listen to your body and wake up when you need to wake up. You can take a break. You can go outside if you want to. Um, Yeah, it's just all these different ways that we learn to really attune to ourselves, that we are given the freedom to attune to ourselves, um, where we weren't really given that freedom if we went, we were in like a compulsory schooling situation. Right, right, absolutely. So then um, I want to ask you if you can explain a little bit, it's almost like the two opposites. How would, what is a tiger mom? And then <laughs> after that, if you can explain what untigering really means to you, mm. we're talking about expectations and set paths and things like that. I think it actually fits fairly well. And um, I know some listeners, when we're talking about the radicalness of unschooling, if you're just tuning into this show for the first time or Iris or myself, and you're like, oh, I just wanted to homeschool. Unschooling sounds like too much. Um, We, I think both Iris and I are probably on the other ends of the spectrum at one time in the way of, yeah, we, you know, we had very strong familial expectations, society expectations and beliefs of what we should do, especially. Um, So yeah, if you can maybe talk about it from that frame point and, and listeners could understand that it is actually it can apply to all of us as well. Mm. Yeah, so Tiger Parenting comes from Amy Chua's book, mm-hmm. uh, The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Yeah. <laughs> She's like a Yale law professor. Um, and she just wrote about her experience as uh, like a Chinese American mom and the expectations that she had on her on her children. And so tiger parenting is very authoritarian, hierarchical parenting with strict demands, a lot of rules, high expectations with the 
the goal of um, raising high achieving children, mm-hmm. um, you know, who play musical instruments and go to Ivy Leagues. You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's probably very familiar to many of us who are like immigrant children, um, who come from cultures that are are more hierarchical, patriarchal and authoritarian. Um, so yeah, that's the type of parenting that I grew up with and that, you know, I was going to loosen it up a little bit with my children and I, I never necessarily considered myself a tiger parent, but when it came down to it, I really did expect my children to obey me, to please me, to make me proud, um, to excel in whatever they tried, um, all those unspoken expectations that we have of our children. So untigering um, has been my journey of really dismantling all of that and recognizing my own wounds and the harm that was done with that type of parenting. Like for me growing up, with that type of parenting, learning how to heal from that, and then also learning how to be in partnership with my children instead of having power over them. Mm. So yeah, just this journey of of healing from both being tiger parented and um, tiger parenting my own children. Mm. So how, um, so being tiger parented, how has your family and parents responded to your family's choice to end school? I think like this, this um, choice to be in China and be so far away from my family actually created some distance for me to break some of the patterns or break some of those expectations because, you know, we were gone for 16 years. So there is like a lot that they couldn't, monitor about our lives or didn't have a lot of insight into like our day to day. And so they just like, you know, let us go and and trusted that we were making good choices. And, um, but I think there's, there's also like enough trust in my relationship with my family where they know that they can't change my mind, you know, like maybe (laughs) that stubbornness in me, but also just the space for us to figure out for each of us, you know, what works for our families. Like I have an older sister, I have a younger brother, and we're all making different choices about the way that we parent and the way that we, um, you know, educate as a family. And that's okay. And I think that's part of my parents um, untigering as well, you know, letting go and letting us make our own choices. We're adults and um, just trusting that we'll figure things out. Mm, okay. Okay. You know, it's also interesting as well that, um, you know, I have a lot of friends who are first generation Canadian, for example, right. With, you know, a lot of my friends' parents, they came as new immigrants to Canada or to the U S or to other countries, uh, refugees. Um, and so many are first generation, uh, and, but now we've had children, Right. So and our children have the connection to their grandparents. But at the same time, there is many interesting shifts and changes as the generations you've relocated and stayed in a place. And then again, the cultural values and ideas and beliefs shift again as well. So 
it's also an interesting time that way, seeing the changes in different generations, especially, I'm guessing we're probably around the same age, close to the same, you know, that we're probably that similar generation as well, where that also has changed things for, for many families too. And, and for the grandparents <laughs> would be our parents in our families too, and how they have, well, I think grandchildren alone change the values and expectations for grandparents too. It gives them a, a very different perspective on life than it was as a parent to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like some of it is, you know, a lot of when I think about tiger parenting, I think so much of it is about trauma mm-hmm. is, you Can know, you explain like, that too. How yeah. is it about trauma? Yeah. Like that's actually something that's really big, right? Sure. So, you know, where they experienced scarcity, they experienced war, um, you know, so much oppression and probably, you know, so the things that they experienced caused them to want to parent a certain way to keep Mm -hmm. us safe, to help us achieve, to help us to have a certain life that perhaps they felt like they were never able to achieve. Um, And so, yeah, they're bringing in a lot of their own fears and anxieties and wanting to parent us in a way to protect us from those. So when I look back on the ways that I was parented or like many immigrant families and and the previous generations, I can still have a lot of gratitude Mm -hmm. and a lot of appreciation for what they did and how they parented me. And at the same time, recognize that it was harmful in many ways too. So I can have compassion and yet still hold the truth that um, I was harmed by it and then seek to do better for the next generation. But again, I feel like a lot of the ways that we were parented, a lot of those values are Mm fear-based, scarcity-based, you know, um, they they just went through a lot for many of our parents. So... um, how, like for me, how can I have compassion and empathy for that and recognize I'm in a different place. Like you said, like generationally, our experiences are probably really different Mm -hmm. from our parents and our grandparents. And we do have more of a sense of safety, more of a sense of, of, yeah, of just being okay and being safe. Like our nervous systems hopefully are, are, less dysregulated. And so how can we now parent from that place of safety and love and belonging instead of out of that fear and anxiety? Mm. I actually really appreciate how you explain that as well. It's because it's coming from a place of compassion, not of, you know, it's removing that it's their fault. They could have done better, but they chose not to. And it's realizing that they were also living their own experiences that were very different from ours. And we may, we probably will never fully grasp or understand. We can feel it, especially with our connection and knowing their stories and what they've told us, but to actually, actually fully live in it is a very different thing as well. And to have that compassion, I think hopefully helps us to be better parents to our kids and also that helps to mend any maybe broken ties. Uh, And then for our our children as well to see that and have compassion for their own grandparents and hopefully for us as parents as well, that it continues in that circle as well, right? Yeah. And I feel like, again, like for me living in China, living as a foreigner in this country actually gave me a lot of compassion for my parents as well, because I was 
I was an immigrant, so, you know, in some ways yeah. to China and trying to navigate the systems, not not being fluent in the language mm-hmm. and um, yeah, feeling like a child in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't communicate the way I wanted to. I didn't understand what was going on around me. Um, so there's, there's a lot that, you know, immigrants have to go through when they are in a, a new environment, a new, new culture. Absolutely. I, I think even a simple thing like a, a kitchen appliance breaks down and you have an infant who needs to be fed or whatever, and you can't just easily pick up the phone or look through the phone book and call somebody or Google and like, oh, this is exactly what I need. They are very close to me, so they can, you know, and then negotiate it on the phone. Something that is, I think we take for granted that we can do so easily becomes a huge process. And, you know, that was one of the, you know, those things, those simple things I was, you know, I leaned so much on friends or things like that, you know, whenever, when we've lived overseas and we've lived in a place where, you know, it wasn't our first language or we didn't speak the language at all, or we're and just navigating basic things that I do every day became huge, like huge things that I was happy when I were finally able to get through things. But at the time it's like, I just you know, I just want my stove to work right now. And this might take me three days to get yes. fixed and going just to contact and communicate someone properly at how I need to. Yeah, exactly. We're on survival mode in, in many ways. And at the same time, I feel like that also invited me to like lower my expectations and to take it slower in life, to be more perhaps minimalistic in my life because I couldn't manage all these things. I couldn't be like doing all these activities just because it's like, (laughs) I have to survive. And in some ways, like even coming back to the States, still bringing back, bringing with me that idea of having things be really low key, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, minimalistic in many ways that I don't have to have all those things that I thought I needed. You know, we don't have to be involved in all those things that everybody expects us to be involved in. Yeah. And life can still be good. Yeah. Life can still be good. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. Okay. So (laughs) let me ask you a few more questions as a parent who unschools and, you know, who's, who helps many other parents who are on this path as well to help kind of find their way to sort out their concerns or fears or doubts, um, their own expectations and how to navigate through them as well. Um, I, you know, I listened recently to a presentation or to um, what you shared on the idea of success as well and a discussion with unschoolers with Karima Akila's summit that she had, Karima Akila of the Genius School. And I thought, you know, I, I asked you if you would talk about success as well today and um, in, in, the, in the way that I think many times with unschooling and the fears and concerns we have, especially when we're de-schooling, we're trying to kind of sort out this journey, our idea of success can either enhance our unschooling journey or can sometimes hold us back or be the big obstacle for us to overcome. What does it mean? You know, what, why is that? Why do you think that success is such a big part or our expectations and view of success is so big in this unschooling journey? 
Yeah, I mean, I think if we still have very um, boxed ideas of success, you know, and and we go into unschooling or homeschooling in order to achieve that type of success, like, oh, if I homeschool, then my child will be so much more intelligent and free and like engaged in what they're learning. And so they'll be able to get into these good schools and they'll really find passion in their job and all of those things. I think if we approach it that way, it can be really frustrating and disappointing when our, our children don't necessarily have that same path. And so my definition um, over the years has changed a lot. And it's like inspired by the quote from Maya Angelou, where she says, success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. Mm. And so in that way, success is really personal. It's like how each of us defines it for ourselves and experiences it for ourselves. And the same with our children. So we don't come in trying to prepare them for our definition of success, but we are there to support them in them achieving their definition of success. And so I think of, um, you know, some people are very ambitious, who have a lot of ideas, you know, who are quote unquote leaders and so I think sometimes when our when our children are like that, it's perhaps easier to believe in unschooling because it's like, oh, they're still following my idea of success. So yes, unschooling works. This is great. But when our children are more low-key, not competitive, they just want an easygoing life, like one of my children, <laughs> then that can bring up stuff for us because it's like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, like what, what are you interested? What you, and, and then we try to push them into, again, our own definitions of success. So part of like the de-schooling, unschooling process for us as parents is again, we are not, uh, we can't colonize our children in that way. We are not living their lives. It's their life to live. They may have their completely their own idea of what success is. They might not want to own a house. They might not want a nine to five job. They don't want something stressful or whatever. They might want to travel. They might, you know, so our, our idea of like being married with two and a half kids and a dog and a white picket fence, you know, that idea of the American dream um, doesn't apply to everyone. And so how can we pull back and not project our own expectations onto our children or society's expectations onto them and allow them to figure things out for themselves. Because I think many of us who did follow that path of success um, and then we hit this age of like, how did I get here? I have all the things that I'm supposed to have as as a successful person, but I don't feel happy. I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel like my life is meaningful. And so just recognizing that, okay, we can tick off all those boxes of what, you know, quote unquote success means, and yet still not like ourselves, like what we do or like how we do it. We still don't feel good about where we are in life. And so um, instead of, you know, pushing our children onto that path, how can we 
sit back a little, observe, support, encourage, allow them to figure things out for themselves. But don't you think that uh, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, though? Sure. Don't you think that just kind of like fairy hippie thinking that it's all going to be okay and everyone's happy and the world's just going to work out so nicely? Like, don't we need to be more realistic? Don't they need to get a good paying job to support their family? Then they'll have less stress because they're making good money and they're more successful in this way. Then their path is just more secure and safe when they have all this stuff. And if we just let them feel good all the time. That's just not living real life. Yeah. I mean, I think that if we are like, so if we approach parenting like that, what happens is that we end up possibly being very resentful because we sacrificed our desires, our passions, our own personal goals in order to make life easier for somebody else, maybe in ways that they didn't even ask for. Mm. Um, So I think that all that attitude also takes away our own value. Like, what do I want to do? What is meaningful for me? And then we're, we're all about like doing something for somebody else. There is definitely a place for that. You know, as a family, we negotiate. And of, of course, as parents, we want to empower and help our children. But do we really need to do that at our own expense or just denying our own needs and desires um, in order to, you know, do something for somebody else? And also, I feel like that, um, again, that's really based on this fear scarcity mindset where we feel like we are in control or we can (laughs) do something in order to guarantee an outcome, but that's not the way life works. You know, you can get your bachelor's and your master's and PhD and still be out of a job. Like, Mm -hmm. like there's, there are no guarantees. And so I think if we go into those systems and, and invest so much into those systems expecting a certain type of outcome and then don't get those outcomes, then everything falls apart and we've wasted so much time and we have so much resentment and um, regret for living in those ways. And so instead of like feeling like life is a formula, how can we be more adaptive, more, um, yeah, like where we have the skills to pivot, we have the skills to adapt, we we know how to um, survive and think creatively in different situations, right? Like if you're in a in a certain type of job and then the pandemic hits and then you're out of an income or, you know, like I feel like for those who with an unschooling mindset, we have the outside the box thinking to to realize like, okay, there's this situation. And even though that's falling apart, I can find other ways around it. I can be creative in how I make a living and how I engage with people, find connections online or all of those things instead of just like things aren't working out and and we feel helpless because those systems didn't work out the way that we wanted them to. We've lost the control and therefore we don't know what to do. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think that is so much of our examples around us is about control, right? And the ways that we can control as much as possible, even though 
Yeah, we really have. It's the false belief that we have control when we don't. Anything can happen. And I think these last couple of years especially have shown that anything can happen as well. But do you think that happens a lot in unschooling? Because you referred to the idea of, you know, parents giving a lot up for our kids. Do you think, do you see that in unschooling families that the parents kind of sacrifice too much or give a lot of themselves and then therefore, you know, whether they have a certain expectation or not, they end up feeling disappointed with the process because I guess, you know, it didn't work out as they thought they would, or, um, you know, they feel maybe depleted themselves because they gave up instead of finding a balance or finding whatever else it was that they, they personally needed. Mm. I'm sure people, some people have that experience, you know, or they, they look at unschooling or homeschooling and say like, I could never do that because I could never be around my children 24 seven or so they, 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 they view it as a very soul sucking sort of like sacrificial type of, um, yeah, relationship. And I have found the complete opposite with my children because because we are around each other all the time, we need stronger boundaries. Mm. <laughs> like when when you're when you only see your children for like three hours a day, then you might throw the boundaries out the window because you'll you'll just, you know, struggle through it. Mm-hmm. But when you're around each other all the time, you really need to communicate what your needs are so that you can actually function and enjoy each other. Yes. So, so I have found so much more ease. I have found like where I can ask for what I want and what I need to pursue my goals and passions and they can ask for what they need. And then we negotiate and and find this partnership. So um, yeah, that, that's what I discovered about unschooling is like, it, for me, because so much, especially as they're older, so much of their learning is self-directed. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really have to do much. I have to be available. I have to be present. I have to observe, but I'm not the one, you know, constantly, I'm not teaching them. Mm-hmm. I'm not like giving them curriculum. I'm not the one, like I'm trusting them. I'm supporting them. And if there's something that I see that I think they'll like, of course, I'll bring it to them. But I don't feel that heavy burden on my shoulder to be, again, in control Mm -hmm. of their learning. I'm trusting that they will find what they need. If they have questions, they can ask us for support, um, all of those things. So I think probably people who have done that and sort of burnt out probably still had more de-schooling to do, you know, where maybe they still approached it in a very schoolish way and still felt that that was their burden to carry to, you know, create a certain kind of outcome. And especially in the early years of unschooling, it's like a very nerve wracking fraught time because there's so many things that are happening that that can trigger us, that can make us fearful, that don't look like school. Mm-hmm. And then we just question the whole process because we're like, okay, this isn't working. Um, and maybe instead of thinking about it as like working or not working, which is still a very formulaic and like controlling type of attitude um, to be more observant, 
to reflect on ourselves more like, okay, this feeling is coming up. Why do I feel that way? What is it bringing up for me? What am I afraid about? So in like to go sort of inward and reflect and process it instead of like projecting those fears onto our children. Mm -hmm. So how long did that take you to come to that point? <laughs> did that yeah I feel like I'm still in it you know like <laughs> schooling they say you know 10 months the lifetime for every process. year or whatever <laughs> yeah. I those numbers don't mean anything to me I feel like because for those of us who grew up in compulsory schooling environments there's just so many attitudes and beliefs that are you know that we've absorbed and that affect the way we see ourselves and our children what we believe about success about learning and so it takes so much time to, um, yeah, to peel that apart and to question it and dismantle it and to replace that with other, <laughs> with truths that we we believe about it. And I think sometimes when we go into certain environments that are more schoolish, then we can fall back into those attitudes and then fear can arise because it's like, oh, everybody else is doing this thing. Like, oh my goodness, everybody else has signed their kids up for all these summer camps and all these, and I haven't done anything. And, oh, do I need to start doing that? You know, like, so this comparison, um, that energy that we surround ourselves with can totally affect how we're doing ourselves. So it, I think it's a lifelong process. Um, sadly, <laughs> we don't we don't get finished with it. But it does get easier. And I think the more we surround ourselves with with community that can support us, that are, is on the same journey, that can really like help us calm our nervous systems down, calm our fears and anxieties and support us in creating the life that we actually want. Absolutely. Um, it's a constant unpacking process always. Yes. And it's, um, and I agree. It's like, and it's also, we can be daunted by it and almost, and again, that fear comes into it as well. Right. And, and that idea of having to have it all figured out. Um, and, you know, after years, just realizing it's just still the practice, it's just still the process. And in our, as our kids change in ages and development, then something new comes up. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, and then if we have a partner that is, shares our own schooling life with us and then their own expectations and ideas. And, you know, maybe certain years I found my, for my husband and I, it's like certain years have been like, I've got this, you know, but he's had some transitions and then it's kind of flipped where he's the one who's like, you know, this is, it's okay. You know, this will, you know, that's just, you know, let's, everything's fine and let's just keep community, you know, he's all good. And then I'm going through this struggle and, you know, or, or there's sometimes everything will drive at the same time, but it's, you know, it's that constant process and adjustment to communication and practice and reflection and observation <laughs> that yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, resources like your podcast and other communities, are just so helpful, so yeah, um, to sort of, you know, help us and, and give us perspective in those moments when we're struggling, you know. So it's, it's totally fine to struggle. We're all struggling. Yeah. We're all figuring it out as we go. And 
So if there are families out there who are struggling um, not to feel too discouraged by that, you know, but to, um, yeah, find community, find resources and people around us that can, that can encourage us along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're getting to our time as well, and I, I wanted to ask you for, you know, for parents that are listening and you talked about the value of community, um, if, you know, if someone who is just entering this process or even partway through, I think we're all kind of newbies again, because of the, the path, the different stages, right? What mm-hmm. would you, what are some of your recommendations? What have you found that maybe has been helpful to you that you didn't expect um, and it might just have been for you, might not be for others, but maybe we can learn or take something from it. What What would you say? I mean, community is a big thing. Or is there anything else that you would say, you know what, this has been kind of like, you know, soothing to my soul at this time, or this has really supported my children at this time, or my partner, or, you know, within your life, unschooling life? Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, treating it like an experiment in some ways, the way I approached unschooling was like, we'll try it. And if it doesn't work or things don't pan out, like we can always do something different. And so not feeling like you are married to that decision or that you need to see certain outcomes by a certain time, you know, but just um, again, being curious about it. I think that can free us a little bit from needing to like have pressure to make it work in a certain way or in a certain time frame, you know, but to be more open-ended with it. And it doesn't have to be pure unschooling. Maybe that's another thing. Like we feel like, okay, if I really need to unschool, then I can't do this and I can't do that. And yeah. like, just throw all that out, like do what feels, what you feel is sustainable in your moment right now, you know? So when I started out, I was still doing math curriculum, still sending my kids to like piano lessons (laughs) and all of that stuff. So like, you don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can really ease into it, find a rhythm and then just continue to like, let go of things that you feel don't serve you. So Yeah, I I would say those things. And then again, with the community, like, because I was blogging, because I I had this um, untigering page, I was constantly looking for resources to share and that would encourage me. And so like, if you're on social media and stuff to like follow people, get resources, like feed your mind and your brain, you know, social media gets a bad rap, but we can also use it to really feed our souls and, and like help us in um, the path that, that we want for our, our lives. So follow people online that can encourage you and can like give you that, that boost of encouragement when, when you do get discouraged. Okay. That's some great advice. Thank you very much. So how can we connect with you? You have your book as well, Untigering. Your social media is by the same name as well. Um, How can we find you anywhere else? Are you still blogging as well? I don't blog very regularly, but yes, I do have a website, untigering.com, where you can find my other resources too. I um, occasionally have different workshops or events that I do. 
Um, so on social media, I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram at Untigering. I also have um, a group membership program. So for those who do want more community, it's online. So anybody around the world can join. Um, you can find more information on my website under membership. Okay, fantastic. And then your book is still available as well too, right? Yeah. So my book is available. Um, you can find it on a bunch of different platforms. If you don't want to go to Amazon, you can also go to Barnes and Nobles or your own uh, online book, book retailer. Okay. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Iris. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Any interesting tidbit or anything else? <laughs> I mean, I think I just want to encourage people to, um, you know, especially for those who haven't considered unschooling before, just to be open to it. Because again, like I, I did come from way over on the other side of the spectrum, uh, you know, having a certain tiger parenting attitude towards education. Um, so not to feel like unschooling is only for those, you know, like hippy dippy, <laughs> non-practical type of people who don't care about their future. No, like I still have, um, you know, cultural expectations. There's still ways that we can make it align with our family values, with our cultural values, um, that is, it's not just for a certain demographic of people. It's really for anybody. And, um, so I want to just encourage people to try it out. Thank you. And I know we didn't even really get into that about how unschooling is thought to look a certain way and the people that unschool look a certain way. I think we can attest just from you and I, I mean, this will most likely be audio, but if you look at pictures of Iris and I, you probably will see that we don't fit that stereotype as well. Um, but the diversity of it and how we can actually work with our cultural differences too, on top of that, it's not just if you've only grown up a certain place or your parents are only a certain way that it is universal. And that is yeah. actually something I've heard that, well, unschooling might work for you because you've lived so long in North America or, you know, unschooling might work for them because of this, this and this, but it won't work if you bring it over here or it's not going to work in this place as well. Really quickly, would you would you say that there are some places that it would just wouldn't work for or is it truly just universal to the human spirit? I mean, I I'd like to say that it, it's, you know, before before school existed, this is the way we learned, right? It is, it is natural. It is um, part of the human experience to be able to learn this way. I do feel like there are certain contexts where it's much more difficult, mm -hmm. um, not because we aren't made to learn this way, but because of different systems that are put in place to prevent us from doing it. So, yeah, I know that in, in certain countries, you know, um, it's not allowed. And so for the people who live in certain areas where there is a lot of control um, and compulsory schooling is the only way to go and all of those things, I think there needs like individuals in those spaces need to be pioneers. Like I, I can't say that. Everybody should be able to do it and, you know, um, to make it sound easy, because I feel like in those environments, you really need to have such a 
strength of conviction to be able to push past some of those barriers, to be pioneers, to ask for systemic change and all of those things. Um, so we need more pioneers in those areas who really believe in this and will um, fight for the right for other people in their community to have those rights as well. Mm-hmm. So even though I do believe it is, you know, that we all deserve this type of freedom, that's not the case. And yeah, there's a lot of work to do out there. So, I mean, I think even within the Asian American community, um, there are a lot of barriers to encourage families that look like mine to to try unschooling, you know, because in a lot of ways, the system seems to have worked for many of us, you know, and so there's no incentive to opt out of the system. So yeah, we just need more conversations. We need more models. We need more of like um, momentum so that people know that this, this can be an option and a reality for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, More models, more examples, more stories shared and, and, for support and connection um, and absolutely depending where you are, very strong support community and strength of convictions for sure. Um, I know through the podcast, I've had a lot of people reach out over time who live in places where they can listen to the podcast, but it's just not, you know, they've even had to move and relocate to another country um, or are they same, they are just trying to get things translated um, so that there is more information and stories out there uh, so that they can have connections with community as well who are, are living that so that there is more examples um, and support because they're kind of they're really the, the pioneers of their area because it makes it extremely difficult, um, especially when it's just not legal, when no one else is doing it. And and speaking out or sharing it is not as easy as we have it or, or yeah. others would think, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's another conversation for another day, I think as well, because there is a, so much, so much as part of it as well. So, mm-hmm. um, Thank you so much. Um, and I still am being respectful of the time and maybe we can go down that rabbit hole again in another conversation. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. Thank you, Iris. And if you want to reach out to Iris, you can follow her on social media and Untigering, uh, her website as well. Her book is available on most platforms, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, like she was saying, uh, booksellers, or if your library has it as well, you can check it out in your library uh, or your Kindle. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. homeschooling.com.